0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I'm a little bit starstruck because I've got a, a heroine of mine on the show, Laura van der Kam. And Laura, welcome to the Grow CFO Show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. I say a heroine. I discovered your book, 168 Hours, a long while ago. And I keep mentioning it all the time. And we've got a future CFO program in Grow CFO. And right at the start of the program, I run a module about fast-tracking your development and starting to talk about all of the new things that people have got to do. But we get into talking about, well, how on earth do you find room to do all of this stuff? Because typically our future CFOs are married, small children, loads of work pressures. But wanna, besides having all those pressures, wanna then step up, get to the next level. And there's a huge, huge challenge around time in there. So I start talking about time audits and things like that. Laura, tell me all about 168 hours and how you can get stuff done.
1: Yeah, well, it turns out that there are 168 hours in a week. And what's curious about it is that is a number that people don't know off the top of their heads. People say 24-7 a lot, and no one seems to multiply it through. But there are 168 hours in a week. And I think this is a really good perspective to look at time. Like a week tends to be the cycle of life as we actually live it. A week encompasses both work days and weekends. And it really sort of shows us how much time we have because things don't have to happen at the same time every day. Often when people are in this mindset of time scarcity, it's because they're looking at a standard Tuesday. And my guess is many of your listeners, their Tuesdays are kind of go, go, go from the beginning to the end with sort of limited time in there. And so whatever they're thinking of needing to add into their lives. It certainly can't happen for hours on a standard Tuesday. But when you look at the whole of the week, things start to look very different. I mean, you start to say like, well, I need to do more reading for professional development, for instance. Could I carve out three 30-minute slots over the course of the week for this? Well, that doesn't seem like a huge ask, right? It shows us that even if we're working fairly extreme hours, there's a lot of time left over. I mean, some of the numbers I always run for people, if you are working. 50 hours a week, which is more than most people work, but let's say 50 hours per week and sleeping eight hours per night. So that is 56 hours per week. This leaves 62 hours for other things, which is more time than you are working, right? I mean, the time is there. We need to be creative about finding it, about using it well for things that add meaning to our lives, add meaning to the lives of the people that we love and care for. But from the 168 hour perspective, time doesn't have to be quite so much this tight competition for every single minute. We have space for the things that are meaningful to us, both professionally and personally, that it's just really a more abundant perspective.
0: So finding that space, or, or I'd prefer to say, making space. I tend to say you've got to make time for things. never say you'll find time because you'll never find time. You've got to make time. How do you go about? the making of that time to do some specific things.
1: Well, one of the best ways to figure out where the time could be is to actually keep track of where your time is going now. And you had mentioned time audits earlier in this, and certainly anyone in the financial world knows the concept of tracking money very carefully. We don't track time as carefully for the most part. Uh, Most of us are pretty mindless in terms of where our time truly goes. And the reason I think is because time keeps passing no matter what you do. Money at least is slightly more requires a bit more of decisions whereas time it's as if all your money was like burned at the end of every single day and you had to start over again. Like it it just is a very different perspective on it. So since time keeps passing, we tend to tell ourselves stories about where it goes or we notice certain things more than others. Certain amounts of time seem like they are bigger than others. Certainly anything you don't want to do seems bigger in our mental picture than things we do want to do. Um, So the only way to get around these sort of mental biases that we have in the face of time that is just moving like a swift flowing river is to actually figure out where our hours go. So I track my time on weekly spreadsheets, which I know makes me sound like a tremendous amount of fun, but I'm just guessing that this is an audience that really appreciates a good spreadsheet.
0: And, I sometimes think some of our audience is more at home looking at a spreadsheet than, than talking to a real person.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we are all spreadsheet fans here. So we can all just bond over that reality. But I track my time on these spreadsheets that go Monday to Sunday along the top, half hour blocks down the left hand side, code in what I'm doing, work, sleep, whatever else the categories are.
0: And this is 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. not just nine
1: to five. Oh yeah. I mean I just why would you only track nine to five? Like, that's not, not the only hours that are out there. <laughs> like, that's where people get into this weird mindset of like, you know, and people do this. Like, I've had people track their time for me and they come back with something that is only between nine and five. And I'm like, well, that's fascinating. I, that wasn't really all I was going for, but okay. But, you know, track the full 168 hours. Like, we want to see time in its entirety. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you need to be up in the middle of the night tracking what you're doing. It's actually a lot easier than it sounds. I check in three to four times a day, write down what I've done since the last time I checked in. It takes about a minute each time. So we're talking three to four minutes a day, honestly, to do this. It's not a huge ask because I know your listeners like, well, I'm very busy. How on earth am I going to find the time to track my time? But it only takes a couple of minutes. So think of it in the category as like brushing your teeth. No matter how busy you are, you have time to brush your teeth. Same with this. You have time to track your time. And you only really need to do it for a week because a week will give you a pretty good picture of where your time is going. And once you see that, you can start noticing some pattern. What does a day look like? Are there times where you are spending time on things that, if you thought about it a bit more, you might not choose to spend your time on? Look at your work hours. Are you spending them all in a way that seems directed toward your various goals, or are there big pots of time devoted to things that you don't feel are as effective? Within your personal life, how are you spending that time? Are you spending it mindfully on things like investing in your relationships and doing leisure activities that are more rejuvenating? Or are you spending it on things that, if you thought about it a bit more, you probably wouldn't spend so much time on? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting some sort of physical activity to make sure that you are maintaining your health? Are you investing in in your health and things like that? So you could just look at the numbers, look at where the time is going, ask yourself what you like about your schedule, ask what you don't like about your schedule, ask what you want to spend more time doing, ask what you want to spend less time doing. And that will open up some possibilities.
0: Yeah. I must admit, when I'm talking about 168 hours in, in module three of the Future CFO program, I encourage people to do something a little bit further. And I say, well, look, everything you've got on your list for this week Put it into one of four categories. Now, what did you do on that list that absolutely no good at? You've got no skills in. What have you got that you really didn't enjoy doing? You hate doing it. Then the next one is, well, the stuff that you like doing, but in the position you're in, you shouldn't really be doing it yourself. (laughs) Typically stuff you should be delegating. Then the fourth category, stuff that you did and time disappeared you're in the zone, or whatever the term is. Start looking at those four categories and you'll very soon work out which are the ones you can stop just stop doing completely, which are the ones that you should be outsourcing, which are the ones you should be delegating. And you can get a good picture quickly from your just your one week's time audit.
1: Yeah, no, and certainly we want to spend more of our time on the things that we are uniquely good at or that match up with things that are with our values and our priorities. And the more time that we can spend on those things and the less time we can spend on everything else, generally the better off we'll be. Yeah.
0: Laura, think about times of the day. I know that you've looked at things that you should do before breakfast, for instance. What should a good morning routine look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I want to clarify here that I am not the sort of person who naturally bounds up at 5am every morning and Sometimes people have the wrong impression because I've written about a lot of people who get up at five in the morning to do whatever it is they're doing. But the the truth is, mornings tend to be really good times for doing things that life has a way of crowding out otherwise. Because the more responsibilities you have both at work and in your home, the more people need things from you, and the more your schedule is often driven by people needing your guidance or needing your direction or you to make a decision on something, don't have those sort of longer focus periods for anything that you might wish to, to do personally. But mornings uh, tend to be more time you can have for yourself before everybody else wants something from you. Uh, there are fewer work emergencies at 6 a.m. than, say, 5 p.m. If you want to exercise, for instance, that can get derailed by a 5 p.m. meeting that goes long or, you know, a family member needing something, whereas the, that is less likely to happen at 5.36 in the morning. So if there is something you want to do and you are having trouble finding time for it in the rest of your life, try doing it first. Mornings are especially good for those things that are important but not urgent, things like creative work or focused thinking and brainstorming and long-range planning, exercise, meditating, anything along those lines can be really good for mornings. Now I do want to specify, be clear here, I don't want anyone to be sleep deprived. There is no point getting up early to do stuff if it means that you're going to be tired the rest of the day, because then you won't really get the benefits of it. You'll just be trading off sleep at one point for another, and you won't really be able to function at your best. So in order to get up on time, you have to go to bed on time. (laughs) It's just a A math problem. If you were going to wake up an hour earlier than you normally would, you really need to go to bed an hour earlier than you normally would. But the beautiful thing about mornings is that when we track our time, most people discover that what they are doing in the hour or two before bed is often not their highest priority activities. This is the time of day when people's energy is waning a lot. You're sort of tapped out from the whole day. there tends to be puttering around the house or just random email checks that aren't really getting you anywhere. So screen time in its various forms. And if that is the case, if you're just sort of staying up just because you're staying up, like put a stop to it. Go to bed earlier so you can wake up earlier and you can turn these unproductive evening hours into productive morning hours.
0: That is superb advice. Now, I know you've written a book all about this,
1: Yes, it's called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast.
0: Right. So it's kind of a catchy title. (laughs) We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But Laura, as we publish this podcast, you're about to release a brand new book.
1: I am. It is called Tranquility by Tuesday, with the subtitle being Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters.
0: I could definitely do with some tranquility by next
1: Tuesday Tell me more. <laughs> I know it does seem like a tall order, doesn't it? And Tuesday, like of all play you know, of all times. So why-, why as we're Tuesday?
0: recording this, in, in my time it's it's five PM Friday and I'm I'm winding down towards gin and tonic. So there's not really that much time till Tuesday.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, you know Fridays are good, but you know, I didn't want to write about Friday because yeah, Fridays were like, well, we're more relaxed then we might feel more tranquil on Friday afternoon with a gin and tonic than we normally do. It takes some work to feel tranquil on a Tuesday. But my point in writing this this book is to give people strategies that will help them feel more in control of their time, more like life is sustainable and joyful, even on a busy Tuesday. Especially busy people, we often tell ourselves like, oh, life is gonna calm down next week and then I will get to X. Or maybe next month won't be so crazy and then I will be able to do, maybe life will be calmer once the kids start school or once you know we get through the back to school craziness or after the holidays. It's always this future thing, right? And the truth is, if you've got a lot going on in your life, like probably life won't be less busy next week. Life is not gonna be less busy next year. Like mm-hmm. you need strategies to make life work Today, or more specifically, on a normal Tuesday, um, yeah. and so so that is what what the book is about.
0: Okay, so give me some ideas of those seven strategies. What are they?
1: Well, nine. I mean, there's even more. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no. I mean, I don't know if you want me to go through all of them, but the idea is that it was nine time management rules that I found myself saying over and over to people. People ask me, "Well, I have this problem. What should I do?" And I'd say, "Well, you should try doing X." And I found that those things were often the same ideas. People's lives are vastly different, but much of the advice boiled down to roughly these nine ideas that I was sharing. And so because I write self-help for busy people, I wanted to make sure that they worked. Like, I don't want to recommend something to people if it's not going to be helpful. So I did a study of 150 people I had them learn these nine rules one at a time for over the course of nine weeks. They would learn a rule, answer questions about how they would implement it, and then a week later, report on how the week had gone. I could measure their time satisfaction on various dimensions at different points through, through the study. And so, you know, found out that, in fact, if you follow these nine rules, you will feel better about your time. <laughs> you will feel happier about me. your leisure time and so forth. Yeah.
0: Talk me through the nine rules.
1: Okay. Well, the first one is to give yourself a bedtime for the exact reason that we talked about earlier, that when you go to bed at a good, reasonable time, you have more control over your mornings and you can use those mornings. You will not be feeling as sleep deprived and you give shape to your entire day. So people following this rule of going to bed at a reasonable time wound up boosting their energy levels uh, significantly. The next rule is to plan on Fridays. So I tell people to use a little bit of time on Friday to think through the upcoming week to identify the most important things that they need to do in the categories of career, relationships, and self to figure out where those things can go. And then just generally figure out what else needs to happen and any conflicts that might be there and what else the week should look like.
0: Okay. Why Friday?
1: Why, I've, well, got a,
0: I've got a slot that's in my diary for every Monday morning. That's Monday every morning.
1: Well, no, I'll try to convince you otherwise. <laughs> because most people who work a Monday through Friday sort of week, we have more energy for executing on things when we are at the beginning of projects. Yeah. And so if you don't plan until Monday morning, you can't seize that Monday morning starting energy for execution, right? You can't get going on execution of things until later in the day on Monday when people's energy tends to wane later in the day or until Tuesday. And given that most people sort of their energy is waning by Friday, if you aren't starting on stuff until Tuesday gung ho, then you've, and you've also, you know, are waning by Friday, you just shorten the week by a lot. Whereas Friday afternoon, most people aren't doing much of consequence anyway. I mean, we are talking to each other on Friday afternoon, Um, But most people are sort of sliding into the weekend. And so it is very easy to waste Friday. And if you are going to waste Friday, better to repurpose this time for planning. Like you don't have to execute on stuff, but you can think about what future you should be doing. That's one of the reasons people often say, well, I plan on Sunday night, which is also fine, except if you need to make, set up a meeting with someone, make an appointment somewhere that has business hours. They're not open Sunday night. They're not necessarily returning your emails, whereas on Friday they more likely are. And then also just when you go into the weekend, knowing what you're going to do on Monday morning, you can actually relax. Like you can not think about it for the rest of the weekend. Whereas if you don't know what's waiting for you Monday morning, I find that a lot of people, like even if they love their jobs, like wind up with a little bit of trepidation on Sunday at some point. Cause they're like, Oh, I know there's all this, this is happening. I don't really have a plan. I'll, I'll make my plan on Monday morning, but I don't have a plan and and so it can kind of interfere with your enjoyment of the weekend.
0: Okay. Yeah, I really can see the logic in that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it works for you, i always say, you know, when things work for people, there is no need to change it. The most important part is to have a weekly planning practice. Yeah. But if people don't, they should build one. And if they find that there are problems for whatever reason with whatever time they have chosen, I will throw out Friday as, I think, a really good time.
0: Mm. Okay, so that's two. Number
1: three. Six, three is to move by 3 p.m. So do 10 minutes, at least, of physical activity in the first half of every day. And there are a couple of reasons for this. I mean, most fundamentally, like moving our bodies boosts our energy levels. Like I'm not telling people they need to like lose weight and look good in a swimsuit. Like I really do not care at all about that. This is totally movement for sanity's sake. There's pretty good evidence that even small bursts of physical activity massively boost our energy levels. So it's, you know, about getting more done. But the sort of deeper reason behind it is that once you know you are going to do this in the first half of every day, kind of in our sedentary society, you really have to think through your time and think about when you are going to do this, right? Where can you put in this 10 minutes of physical activity? And to do that, you have to think through your day. Like you have to think through your hours and when you are doing things and where you can force in a little bit of space. And by doing that, it trains your mind to be more strategic about time in general.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, I can take the box on that one.
1: Good. Good. It
0: on it. Is, get up, get dressed, come downstairs, take the dogs out for a walk.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. That will do it. So if you are, you know, briskly walking your dogs, that's a great way to build it into your life. And, and a lot of people will do that. But it's so easy to just kind of sit all day and like go through meetings and emails and not move on. Oh, lives.
0: very, very yeah, easy. It's very easy. And, uh, I've got this lovely watch here that reminds me occasionally during the day that it's a bad time you stood up.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when we do, we feel better. It's just, you know, oh, you yes. have to remind yes. yourself to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah. it's a, okay. So yeah. number four, Laura.
1: Okay, rule number four is three times a week is a habit. And when we were talking earlier about the 168 hour mindset, this is really getting at this. Things don't have to happen daily, nor do they have to happen at the same time every day in order to count in our lives. And so often when people say there are things they want to do, they talk themselves out of it because for many things, there is not a perfect time every single day. So let's say that somebody wants to have meals with their family, but due to various work circumstances, kid activities, whatever else it is, like nobody is, you know, having us throwing a sit-down dinner on the table at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Like it's just not happening. So people get discouraged. They're like, oh, it never happens. But then when like look at their time, they often say, well, actually, it doesn't never happen. Like we had breakfast together on Saturday mornings or we had dinner together on Sunday night. It's like, well, okay, great. It's already happening twice a week. Can you get to three times? And getting to three times with many things is not nearly as difficult as trying to do something at the same time every day. And I maintain that anything that happens three times a week is a habit and is part of your identity. So if you eat meals with your family three times a week, you are a family that eats together. If you practice the piano for 20 minutes three times a week, you are a piano player. If you read for thirty minutes three times a week, you are a reader. Like there, everything like this, you know, is it can be part of your identity. And so often, people have taught themselves that they just can't do whatever it is in their busy life, and it tends not to be the case.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And I, I'm thinking in particular of a of a hobby. Yes, I'm constantly thinking. Oh, I never find time to do that, but that does make a difference. That perhaps I should be thinking about. Well, provide I've done this three evenings a week, then yes.
1: Then it's part of your identity. You you are doing the thing. Yeah.
0: I really like that one.
1: Okay, good. It is a very encouraging one. A lot of people are like, oh Yeah. yeah, I could do that. I could do that. The fifth strategy is to create a backup slot. And this is a reminder to people that anything that is truly important in your life needs to have another time it can happen. Anyone can create a perfect schedule but true time management masters create a resilient schedule. So, you know, I'm always encouraging people to build more open space into their lives. Because what inevitably happens, you have some big priority you have identified. Maybe you have a, a direct report that you're trying to give constructive feedback to, and you really need to sit down and have this conversation. And of course, you've carved out time, let's say 10 a.m. on Tuesday, um, you're planning on doing it. And what happens at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays? Biggest client has some huge disaster that suddenly everyone has to deal with. And so we wind up canceling the 10 a.m. meeting because, of course, like we have to deal with the urgent thing. But then what happens to it? Like if it doesn't get immediately rescheduled to a time that you both know it can happen, like it just keeps getting bumped forward. And this is how people keep like not doing these things that are important but not urgent. And so I'm telling people if something is truly important to you, it doesn't need one spot. It needs a second spot. It needs a rain date, right? For when the first doesn't happen. And this gets unwieldy if you've got like many different important things in your life. So a better way to sort of think about it is I need to leave a big chunk of open space in my life to absorb all these things that get bumped when life happens, right? And so we talked about planning on Fridays. Another good idea is to leave Fridays as open as possible. Like try not to schedule much on Fridays because that way, if something comes up earlier in the week and bumps something from there, you've got a spot to put it um, yeah. instead of putting it to the next week, which is borrowing time from the future. Like no doubt the future is going to have crises of its own.
0: So the meeting that didn't happen Tuesday afternoon because the other person was ill or something like that mm-hmm. can be put into that open
1: space. can be easily put into Friday. So it will still happen. Right. And if it was something that you wanted to have happen this week, it happened this week. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it It works right? You still stay on track.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. I like that one.
1: Well, good. Number six is one big adventure, one little adventure. And so now we are getting into the realm of how we feel about our time. And much of adult life can look very similar day to day. I mean, you get up, you get people ready, you get out the door to work, you, you know, have your meetings, your emails, you come home, everyone eats. You know, if you have small kids, you get them to bed, you sort of pass out in front of the TV, you go to bed, you do it all again. You know, good routines have a place in life, like routines make good habits, you know, good choices automatic. The problem is we don't want to be so given to similarity that we wind up in these ruts and whole years just like disappear into memory sinkholes. Um, So a nice balance is to aim to do two things per week that are a little memorable and out of the ordinary. So one big adventure, one little adventure. One big adventure can be something that takes three to four hours, like half a weekend day. A little adventure is less than an hour doable on a lunch break or a weekday evening, but just something that's a little out of the ordinary and that will be memorable. So, you know, I challenge people to do this and this does a couple of good things. I mean, one is it gets you to start thinking about how you would like to spend your time. Like, what could I do? You you become more open to looking at things. Like, oh yeah, you know, there's going to be a festival in that park that's 2 miles away. I should, you know, put that on the calendar and we could go do that as a family on Saturday. But it also can change people's perceptions of themselves. Like, they become the kind of people who do cool stuff. Right. And that is really all it takes. I'm a big fan of like hibernating in your pajamas, like after a tough day at work, there's nothing wrong with that, but you do two adventures a week. Like you still have all this other time to hibernate in your jammies after work twice a week, do something a little different and it can change your entire perception of time. Yeah,
0: I do like that idea the family that does cool stuff. That's how to bring it You in. always very, have something to say on Monday morning. Yeah. People
1: are like, What did you do this weekend? You're like, We did this. Yeah. <laughs> Not like yeah. nothing. I cleaned out the garage. Yeah, and I, I found
0: years ago when I was consulting, I tended to spend Monday to Friday away every mm-hmm. week. So it was amazing because we then thought about well, what are we doing while Dad's home at the weekend? Yeah. It tended to be much better planned during that period of my life than it's ever been since. There's (laughs) there's definitely something into that conscious planning of adventure time. Yeah, Yeah. of
1: having adventures. The seventh rule is to take one night for you. And what I mean is to take one evening or the equivalent number of hours per week to do something that is not work and is not family responsibilities, is something that is uniquely pleasurable, enjoyable for you. And ideally, this involves a commitment to it. So I mean, something like playing in a softball league or singing in a choir, doing a regular volunteering gig somewhere. Uh, and the reason and people are like, wait, 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 no, I'm too busy. I could not possibly do that. But it is precisely because you are busy that it needs to be a commitment. Because people sometimes say like, oh, I'm going to take one night for me by like, taking a relaxing bubble bath. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that It's seven o'clock on Tuesday when you were going to do this. If your kid wants you to drive her somewhere, well, what excuse do you have? Like your bathtub isn't going anywhere. People want you to work late at work. What excuse do you have? Again, your bathtub will still be there tomorrow. You can do that. Whereas if you play in a string quartet that meets on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock, if you don't show up, the string quartet has a problem, right? (laughs) And so the fact that it is a commitment forces you to do it. And then it happens, right? Whereas if it doesn't have to happen, it won't. And I'm not saying that anyone needs to neglect their families. I know people are working long hours. They need to do it. I believe that every adult in the household deserves this too. If your partner, for instance, is maybe not working as an intense schedule as you are, like often that person winds up on the short end of the stick here of like, I don't want to cover that person's softball league too, in addition to this time. But that person deserves to be in the softball league as well. They can have their night that you need to cover. And if you can't cover it for some reason, it's your responsibility to find somebody else to cover it. And having that time that your partner knows they can have for themselves can go a long way toward increasing household happiness in no matter what sort of relationship you have.
0: fantastic. So so we how only have two how many more. Are we two left. Two, so left. We have two more, yes.
1: Number eight is to batch the little things. And so what I mean by this is to learn to identify unimportant, small tasks, and hopefully we can get rid of a lot of these, right? But I know that many people have experienced that a lot of workplaces are kind of underinvested in administrative help. There are always things that you wind up doing, even if you do have administrative help. And there are things in our personal lives, too, that we wind up needing to do, you know, filling out forms for children's camp, calling a plumber or whatever else it is. And so the problem is these things can feel like they take over our entire lives and like we're always doing them, but that's because they are always options. If we designate small chunks of time to handle these things, then we don't feel like we should be doing them the rest of the time. And so we can either focus on deeper work or we can relax. And that's one of the reasons to do this. But the other reason is that actually more, especially people who are into productivity, we really like to cross stuff off the list. And what often happens is, like you're wrestling with a big problem. Like you're sitting here, you've carved out time to work on this issue. you're really thinking about it, and then you're like, "But I need to fill out that form for <laughs> h yeah. r And you distract yourself from what you are working on because, oh, once I fill out that form, I can cross it off my list. I feel good. I accomplish something. I get this easy win. Whereas, you know, sitting there wrestling with this big problem, you're you're not going to get a big win anytime soon. But, It does deserve your attention. It does deserve that focus thing. And so by designating a time for all those forms and small things and everything else, you are less tempted to distract yourself from the work that you have chosen to do. And then the last one is effortful before effortless. So I found that even the busiest people do have some leisure time. But the problem is a lot of this leisure time comes in either small and uncertain chunks like a couple of minutes while you're waiting for a phone call to start, or you're waiting for a ride, or for somebody to drop your kids off, or I don't know, the water to boil, or whatever else. And then, you know, so there's that time. And then there's some leisure time that people might have at night or on weekends, but it's often during low energy times, right? You put your kids to bed. Now you've got an hour or two before bed. What do you do with it? Well, you're kind of tired. So we tend to watch television, or in those small bits of time, we scroll through social media or read headlines. And that's fine, but it doesn't feel like the most rejuvenating form of leisure. So I challenge people that whenever a spot of leisure appears, do at least a few minutes of something more active before you switch to the passive stuff. So if you are pulling out your phone to look through some social media app, Take two minutes to read an ebook first, right? Like open an e-reader app first, read two books, two minutes in an ebook, and then you can go scroll around on Twitter for all you want. Or if you've gotten the kids down to bed at night, do a puzzle for like 15 minutes, and then you can stream, you know, whatever reality show it is you're watching for, for the rest of the evening if you want. But just by flipping that automatic script, you wind up making some space for the effortful fun that people tend to rate as actually more enjoyable. Than the passive stuff, or if you're lucky, like you might just keep going with it. Like a lot of times if you read for three minutes in a really good book, you're like, I want to keep reading. <laughs> and yeah. so you never wind up over at Instagram and it's all good.
0: I, I think that the issue there is that the passive stuff, the the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Instagrams are all designed to be addictive. Mm-hmm. They're all designed to draw you in. They're all based on the fear of missing out. Oh, I've got to catch up with what everybody's been doing or whatever. So well, and that's why it, it doesn't work to go you in.
1: It doesn't really work to just rely on discipline and like go Mm. cold turkey. Like they are addictive. And so that's why I'm saying just do something else first, right? I'm not saying you have to quit these things entirely. And I'm not even saying you have to put a time limit on how much time you're there. I'm just saying before you go do that, just take a few minutes to do something else. And often by taking a few minutes, you either stick with the active thing. But even if you don't, like you can read a chapter in War and Peace in five minutes and then spend the rest of the evening watching... Selling Sunset, and like you are still the kind of person who does both. Whereas if you turn on the TV first, like you'll never get around to the reading. So right. this is how you can make space for both of these kinds of leisure in your life.
0: Okay, Gosh, we've gone through all nine.
1: We've gone I'm through all glad nine.
0: I need to buy the book now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully people still will. I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot more in there about why yeah. these things work and how Absolutely. you can implement them in yeah. your life.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually looking forward to it. So remind me again, Laura, the full title. And the date it comes out.
1: Yeah, it's Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And it is coming out on October 11th this fall.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And I will be out there buying it because it sounds like something (laughs) good. Thank you, I appreciate it. And I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, I know it's 12 years ago now since you wrote it, but 168 hours. It is a brilliant book to get to grips with what you're doing on a half hourly basis, and work out where you can find some time, which I think is a really, really valuable exercise.
1: Good. I'm glad you think so.
0: Yeah. Laura, thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.